Friends, it's been a delight to be with you this weekend and to help us work through just a few of these psalms, which help us to understand what God's providence is about. Of course, these psalms might not use the word providence, but the doctrine of providence is all about how God uses his power in the world. And in the first talk, we saw that God uses his power as our heavenly father. In the second talk, we saw that God uses his power to guide us when there's so much evil and suffering in the world. And this morning, the last talk from Psalm 2, we'll see how God uses power in the nations and in history. What is going on in the world? What's going on in history? Martin Luther King Jr. That's a little bit better. Martin Luther King Jr. said these words during the civil rights movement. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And it's wonderful that in the 1960s and 70s, African-Americans found more justice in their homeland, but it's very hard to say that the world bends towards justice if the 20th century was the most violent, despicable century ever. There was more genocide and martyrdoms in the 20th century than in all the other centuries before them combined. Can we really say that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice when we've just lived through a century when there was so much injustice? Surely it should have been the best century of them all. And what of those rulers in the 20th century who said they knew the way to the future? Like Adolf Hitler who set up his a thousand year kingdom. Where did he get that idea from? He believed he was the one, the Messiah, who would take the world towards its appointed future. And his kingdom lasted 12 years. Conspiracy theorists think they know what's really going on in history. They alone have pulled back the curtains, pulled back the veil and seen what history is really about. And in a world of turmoil, conspiracy theories abound because they make people feel strong that they know what's really going on in the world where most people don't. They have knowledge that others don't have access to. They understand that behind the complicated world in which we live, they have the good oil. We all want to know how history works. Some people think they know better than others. What do Christians think about how God uses his power in history? What do Christians think about how providence helps us in understanding history? Of course, when we get to the year 2020, and COVID hits the world, we all question whether God's power is really at work. 
2020 was a year in which many Christians' trust in God's guidance of history has been shaken. How can we be sure that we're on the right track? How can we be sure that God has got control over history? Well, in Psalm 2, just in a few verses, we have a beautiful picture helping us to understand what history's really about. And it might surprise you that history, according to Psalm 2, is not about empires fighting empires. History is not about America versus Russia or America versus China or Germany versus Britain. What's history about, according to Psalm 2? It's about Christ, the Messiah, versus the world. That's what history is about. For when Jesus was raised from the dead, he said, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He knew that he was the one upon whom history was focused. No, history is not about trade wars. History is not about one culture muscling out other cultures. History is about Christ taking his reign. And Psalm 2 is a noisy psalm. So many people are speaking. And we learn that in the very first verse, Psalm 2 verse 1. Why do the nations rage? Why are the nations so loud? Why are the peoples plotting in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. The nations are saying, let's get rid of God. Let's remove the shackles. Let's be free. They're taking counsel against the Lord. History is not about nation versus nation. History is about the Lord Jesus ruling in this world. Though the nations refuse to submit, believing that ignoring God is the best way to be free. So I'm not particularly concerned when governments in Australia or governments overseas do things that Christians don't like. Of course the Victorian government, the Queensland government, is going to enact legislation that Christians don't like because all governments are in rebellion against the law. That shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't worry us. We shouldn't panic when governments do things we don't like. For most of history, that's been the way governments have operated. History is all about the nations rebelling against the Lord. So verses 4 to 6, what does the Lord do? The nations are loud, conspiring, rebelling. And the one, verse 4, who sits in heaven just giggles to himself. Just laughs, just chuckles. And thinks in his own heart, do they really think they'll win? God doesn't scream back. 
he laughs and recognizes the futility of the rebellion. But he will, verse 5, speak to them in his wrath. There will come a word from the Lord. He will terrify them in his fury. And what, what will the Lord say about all the rebellion in the world? As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The Lord speaks a promise. The Lord knows that history is going somewhere. And as much as the nations rebel, God has appointed a king to rule in his place. The nations are loud and rebelling. God makes a quiet promise. I have my king. I have my king. I have my king. The Lord is sovereign in heaven and his providence means that he arranges history through his power so that all will recognize his king. And now verse 7, we hear other voices. The king speaks, this very one who's been appointed to subdue the nations. That king speaks, verse 7, I will tell of the decree. The king is saying, I'll tell you what God has told me. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. God has a king and that king is the son. The son of the father, the one who, in whom all authority is invested. That son has authority to judge the world. And eventually, at the end of history, to establish his justice against the rebelling nations. Really? The capital of the world will be this tiny hill called Zion? Tell him he's dreaming. Israel had this tiny, tiny territory. And this son... This king can rule the world? How extraordinary. How almost unbelievable. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. The king is the son of the father. They're like that. This son will exercise authority over all the nations, just as Jesus said he would on the day he rose from the dead. All authority has been given to me. And he will bring justice. He will break the nations with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And if you've ever listened to Handel's Messiah, you're probably singing it in your head already. So what's the challenge? Verses 10 to 12. Now, therefore, King David writes, 
O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Well, you've been warned, O nations of the world. A day is coming when there will be justice. So what should the nations do? Well, submit as soon as possible. And not just submit generally, but kiss the sun. Your version might say something slightly different, might say kiss his feet. In either way, it's to render submission, not to some vague idea, but to the one who reigns. King Jesus. And our job is to call the nations to submit to that king. In fact, effectively, in the chaos of our world, what do we do? Brothers and sisters, in the chaos of our world, the first thing we've got to do is pray that the world would recognise the king and talk about him. We might get angry at our government. Our governments will fail us. But don't just get angry, get praying. We need to pray for those in authority, as Paul instructs us to do in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We all speak about the second half of 1 Timothy 2 and get very concerned about men and women in ministry. But actually, the first thing we've got to do in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is pray for governments. And Anglicans do this pretty well, although in my, in my uh, experience of Melbourne, lots of Anglican churches are giving up, including intercessions in their church service. It's happening all over the place because people are saying it's better that we pray in small groups than in a public church service because you lose energy and you lose focus if you're praying. So I have people coming to me in, in Melbourne and they, uh, I run the Ridley Chapel each day of the week and they say to me, could I have a shot at saying the prayers? I think, I'd, I, think I could do that. I said, yeah, sure. And we don't do it in our church. We, we, don't pray for we don't pray for anyone or anything, uh, but I'd like to give it a shot here. Well, if anything that we learn from Psalm 2 is that we have to pray that the nations submit to the Lord Christ. In fact, that's what the believers did the day after the day of Pentecost. They're gathered together in fear in a room. Peter's been arrested. They're confused. And what do they do? They pray through Psalm 2 that there'd be justice in the world for Peter and for the prosperity of the church. Read Acts 4 and see how they're praying Psalm 2 on that really difficult day. Friends, the world is a confusing and difficult place. And no doubt for Christians, it's going to get more and more challenging as well. But that doesn't mean we panic. It means we pray. 
We don't know what's really going on. We don't know how God's going to lead history to that day when Christ judges the nations. We might like to think we do. We might like to think America has a role in that, as some Christians might believe. But we don't know. The scriptures don't tell us how we're going to get to the end. We've just got to be humble and recognize we don't know how God's going to lead the world to that day, but that he will. We're not prophets. We haven't been given intelligence about the future. We don't see everything clearly. We have to be humble and not saying too much about what we think is happening in the world. The Bible doesn't. Psalm 2 doesn't. Psalm 2 just says the world's confusing, the world's in uproar. You know what? There's only one thing you need to know, that King Jesus will rule in the end. Trust him. Christians need to be a little bit humble about the way we think God is working in the world. For Christians being proud is really dangerous. In about the year 300, the Roman Empire became Christian. Constantine was the emperor. He officially declared that Christianity was the official religion of the empire. And Christians rejoiced. There was no more persecution. But then a hundred years later, the Roman Empire fell. And so Christians started thinking, my goodness, has God lost control of history? We thought God had this great victory when the Roman Empire became Christian. A hundred years later, the Roman Empire has fallen. Christians who were so proud of themselves, they knew what God was doing in history. He'd made the Roman Empire Christian. They started wondering, perhaps God doesn't have this in control. And non-Christians started mocking the Christians and say, you thought you, you thought you were the winners. You're not. Christians had egg on their face because they overinterpreted what was going on in history. And the British Empire did the same in many parts of the world, thinking that they were God's gift to the world. No, the best way of understanding history is not saying, I know what God is doing in America or China or Russia or the British Empire. That's a fool's errand. The best way of understanding history is with a fixed point of Christ and his church. That's what Psalm 2 is teaching, right? The only thing that's sure in this world is that Christ has his people in the world. Christ will be the victor in the end. The world might be in chaos, but there's just one single plan. And if you know what that plan is, that God will rule the world through his church, you can be calm. And isn't it wonderful that there are more Christians in China today than there were at the Communist Revolution in 1949. We thought that the church in China was doomed when missionaries were kicked out in 1949, but there might be now 400 million Christians in China. It's one of the greatest stories of the 20th century. 
we thought as Christians that, the, that was the end game when, when missionaries were kicked out of China. No, of course it wasn't. God has his will. God has his ways. God hasn't lost control. We can be assured of his presence with the church. And the church is the sure sign that God hasn't lost his way. For the whole point of history is for Christ to give the church to the Father. Christ gives the kingdom to the Father and the Father returns it to the Son as a bride. That's the whole point of history. Everything else is mere smokescreen. God has history under control. You and I might know what he's doing, but that doesn't really matter if we focus on Christ and take our part in his church. Every cause in this world will have one effect, that we will live together with the Lord face to face forever. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Listen to this beautiful hymn about providence. Great providence of heaven, what wonders shine in its profound display of God's design. It guards the dust of the earth, commands the hosts above, fulfills the mighty plan of his great love. The kingdoms of this world lie in its hand. See how they rise and fall at his command. Through sorrow and distress, tempestuous storms that rage, God's kingdom yet endures from age to age. Its darkness dense is but a radiant light. Its oft perplexing ways are ordered right. Soon all its winding paths will end and then the tale of wonder shall be told beyond the veil. I want you, friends, not to be anxious about history, but confident because God uses his power to bring all things together under Christ. So now to him who's able to keep you, dear brothers and sisters at St. Bart's, from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Amen.